y'all. I'm Betsy Orton with the Dickey Foundation, and you're listening to Dickey's Doing Good, the podcast where we tell good stories about good people doing good things in the community. My guest today is Courtney Burns with the SPCA of Texas. She's the chief investigator and director of animal field response with the SPCA. She spent 11 years with them in a variety of roles, including surgery technician, managing the animal care center, and handling animal investigation. She is the president of the Dallas chapter of Voluntary Organizations Active in Disaster, where she has used her expertise in disaster response and animal sheltering, having worked in disaster areas such as the Lancaster tornadoes, fast drop fires, Hurricane Harvey, and other major disasters. She's also the chair of the Dallas County Animal Response Team. That keeps you busy, doesn't it? It does. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Courtney. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. For those folks who maybe don't know you quite as well as I do, tell us about yourself, your work with the SPCA of Texas, and how you came to be where you are today. Well, I've been with SPCA for 11 years now um, in a variety of different roles. I came into the organization actually wanting to be a veterinarian. That was a career that I wanted to pursue, and I knew that I needed some experience to become a veterinarian, to get into vet school, and so I figured this was a good way to get my foot in the door. Once I started working here, um, I realized that veterinary medicine wasn't really the, the path that was chosen for me. So I started getting more involved in our rescue part of the organization. Um, I joined a police academy and I went through about 10 months of training and I got my license and now I am doing the investigations. That's right, because you are certified a law enforcement officer here in the state of Texas. I am, yes. Very good. Yes. I mean, first responders and and law enforcement, very important uh, in animal rescue and animal investigation. So tell me a little bit about your work here at the SBCA within animal investigations and how that works. So we actually currently right now we have three investigators. Um, Myself, I'm commissioned in Hutt County and Hopkins County. And then we have another investigator that is commissioned to Van Sant County. We have a third investigator that is currently going to be going through police academy. Actually, she just started, so she should be done in about 10 months. And she's she's not commissioned, but she's out in Kaufman County. We all kind of tag team Dallas County, and so we kind of handle a variety of different counties. We also help um, counties outside of our usual area. So if there's another county that might need some help with some animals, maybe there's a hoarding situation, they have 100 dogs that need to get taken care of. We'll go out, um, depending on our resources, we'll go out and help them. So um, our three investigators, like I said, we're kind of spread throughout several different counties. Uh, We receive calls every single day from either the general public or law enforcement agencies will reach out and ask for help to come check out cases. Uh, We also take anonymous complaints. So um, we have the flexibility there if people are not comfortable sharing their information to go check out uh, cases for them. And, uh, yeah, we pretty much don't know what we're going into every day. We'll bring animals in. We'll uh, work with people. We do whatever we can. Um, But it's just a constantly changing thing. You know, we're constantly bringing animals in and, you know, doing the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, definitely doing the thing. So how did how did 2020 affect you? I mean, 2020 was a weird year with COVID and everything else. Did that did that affect your business? Did it affect the investigations? I would say that it did. I think that there was kind of a shift in 2020 where, you know, people were losing their jobs. There was a lot of financial situations that were people were running into. And I I think we have seen people more so reaching out for help than they did before. Um, You know, we have people that are actually calling in on themselves 
you know, we might get a person that's like, you know, Hey, I lost my job. My dog hasn't eaten in two days. You know, is there something you can do? Can you bring me some dog food? And we're finding ourselves going out and doing that or trying to come up with situation or solutions for people that may uh, be displaced, you know, if they're getting evicted from their place or, um, so we've definitely seen a big impact from COVID-19 as far as people and their pets. And about how many rescues a year do you, or how many investigations a year do you all do? And then do those, do those, most of those turn into rescues or what happens with those? I would say just in, on average, we do probably about 1500 investigations a year. Um, and then wow. as far as bringing in animals, it really can vary. So, um, we're usually around close to 2000 animals that come in. And a lot of the times we'll go out and we'll be able to work with people, um, and try to keep pets within the home. Um, every now and then we'll bring in one or two, but then we might go out and take in, you know, 200 animals in one swoop. So it just totally varies on what we're dealing with. Well, when we were talking, you said, you know, you all never want to, you, you, your first priority is not, your first priority is helping the animals, but it's not separating animals from their homes. Correct. Because the SPCA has a beautiful facility here in South Dallas and, um, you know, ha has good space, but it's one of those, it's not home. Yes. We are very blessed. We have a very, very nice facility or several nice facilities um, to where we can keep pets as comfortable as possible while they're here in the shelter. But if there's a way that we can keep pets in the home, that's absolutely our top priority. Um, so we like we work with people as far as providing resources to them. We've got a pet resource center. So they help with, you know, food or medical expenses. Um, and then we've got uh, like a community cat program where we can help with outside cats. A lot of times we get feral cats, people get overwhelmed. They start feeding them. Um, they bring them in the home, you know, and it's just like, <laughs> they just start multiplying. And so we do what we can to try to, you know, take that population down and get a good control. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Our number one priority is keeping pets in the home. Oh, we, we've got a couple of feral cats that live in our backyard. <laughs> they're, they're, they've, they've been TNR'd. So, That's good. Yeah. yeah, so they've been TNR'd, but they're nice. It's spring, so kitten <laughs> season, it's here. Yeah. Uh, it is indeed. So so what is the best thing about working animal rescue? You said you were originally thinking about going into veterinary medicine, but, but definitely switched paths. So what's the best thing about animal rescue? Um, I feel like I could do more good, I guess, when it comes to animal rescue. Uh, there's a lot of really challenging environments that we go into, um, especially in cases where people might have um, chronic hoarding or collecting disorders where they're, they've got maybe, like I said, about 200 animals in their house. Um, law enforcement are typically not, just in general, law enforcement agencies are typically not built to handle situations like that. Um, whereas, you know, we have the gear we need to go in to safely remove animals, you know, we'll wear, you know, respirators and suits and all that stuff. And it does get pretty gross. Um, and it's just, it's not a very, um, it's not a very nice job, but it's, it's something that we have to do. Um, and I just like doing it. It's, it's fun. What do you find to be the most misunderstood thing about animal rescue and what you're doing? The most misunderstood thing. Um, I think, and it kind of goes back to keeping pets in the home. Uh, I think that people, tend to think that we're just going to come in and kick their door in and take their animals. But really there's a lot more to it. I think that, I mean, absolutely. If there's legitimate animal cruelty happening, we will kick your door in and we'll take your animals. But a lot of the time there's a lot more going on. Um, and there's a lot of trust building and relationship building that you have to do, especially within the community and with these people that you're working with. Because at the end of the day, we don't want to just take the animals and then not have a plan because a, a lot of the times people will just end up back in the same situation. 
So we want to make sure that we have a good relationship with those people just to make sure that, you know, if we have to come back in a year, if they start having a problem again, that we can actually get in and we can work with these people again and make sure it doesn't happen in the future. So you're really developing that trust and, and providing them with resources because, as you said, these may be people with chronic hoarding diseases and other other issues that are going on. Yes. Very interesting. So what would you tell someone uh, or tell yourself if you went back 10 or 15 years, uh, someone who was interested in going to this branch of, of animal rescue and first responder? I would say to do your research. Um, it takes a lot of being able to take care of yourself, a lot of self-care, I would say. Um, compassion fatigue is a big thing in this field, um, especially when you're, you know, you love animals and you become so passionate about it. And this is like, you know, you, you go into work and it's go, 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 and you're not taking care of yourself. So I think um, trying to really make sure it's something that you're willing to do, but also make sure that you're able to take care of yourself in the process because you can get burnout so quickly in this field. Well, how do you make sure that you take care of your team? Because you mentioned you had several other investigators who are on your team. How do you how do you make sure that they're doing that as well? Well, we do. Um, of course, we always encourage people to take time off. Um, that's never, you know, it's always no questions asked. If someone needs to take a step back, that's what they're going to do. And that's what we, we allow them to do. Um, we always make sure that we have enough people on scene to assist. We want to make sure that everybody's safe. That's a big thing. Um, we don't want to have anybody ever go out on a case where they don't feel comfortable. You know, we want to make sure that we're there. And the law enforcement agencies that we work with are also very, very good about um, being there for us and making sure that we're safe and, and making sure that everybody's getting taken care of. Um, the SPC of Texas is a great organization to work for because, um, like I said, we, we're very big on encouraging people to take time off and, um, you know, just taking care of yourself. Do you have a furry family member at home that, that you go home and see every night? I have several furry family members. <laughs> what, what, yeah. what do you have at home? So I, I moved um, out of the city about a year ago to a small piece of property out in East Texas. So, of course, now I've got one horse, two donkeys. Um, I just adopted a cow uh, from a cruelty case. Um, and then I have uh, two dogs and two cats that don't have eyeballs. They're blind. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. How wonderful that you, you took care of them and took them yes. in. Yeah. How kind. Um, so is there an experience that you've had kind of with animal rescue, maybe that's really touched your heart or, or how it changed how you do things? I mean, they all really um, touch your heart in some way. I think I can go back and remember every single rescue that we've done. You know, you remember the animal's name, you remember the, the owner's name, like it really sticks with you. Um, but just off the top of my head, um, well, I don't want to really say it really touched my heart, but we did have a pretty colossal, crazy um, case a couple years ago that involved um, several hundred rabbits. And um, I'm not a big rabbit person, per se. Uh, I'm not, I don't necessarily don't like them. Obviously, I have to like them if this is the career I've chosen. Um, but we just kind of, rabbits and I just kind of have an understanding. So, you know, I don't, I don't mess with them. They don't mess with me. Um, so we had a case where a woman was breeding rabbits um, for pets, but also for meat. So people were eating the rabbits as well. And she had, from what we thought was gonna be about 150 rabbits. And so once we got in there, um, it turns out there was about 450 rabbits. So having to try to um, pretty much alter the entire environment in the shelter to try to accommodate, you know, 400 something rabbits coming in, that ended up being quite a challenge. Uh, but then rabbits, you know, they do what they do best. They, they breed like bunnies. They make more rabbits. <laughs> so um, we ended up with about 700 rabbits here. 
a couple of years ago. So um, that one really affected me because it really challenged me in ways that I've never been challenged before. Not only the fact that, like I said, I'm not a rabbit person. So it kind of was like immersion therapy for me um, to be around that many rabbits, angry rabbits too, that were not very nice. Um, but that was such a huge undertaking for us. And it took about six months to get them all out. Um, we had to go get them spayed, uh, which we did here. Um, and it really just affected me um, in a way that, you know, well, it was a learning experience most of all, but um, I think about it every day. Well, when we were talking earlier, you had mentioned that, I mean, you, you develop these relationships and this trust. And there was a woman who you were helping with her nine dogs that she had because she was escaping a disaster area. Um, and talk to me a little bit more about your work with, with VOAD, um, with Dallas County Animal Response and, and what you all do there and, and how you all are helping people and their animals there. So we do a lot of disaster work, whether it be in Texas or Dallas County is mainly where we do it. Um, we do it in Texas. Like I said, we also go, um, across state. So we've been out to Louisiana. We've been to Mississippi just recently, um, during hurricane Laura, we went out to, uh, Lake Charles and Calcasieu parish and helped out out there. Our biggest thing we did was probably hurricane Harvey where we operated, we built and operated an emergency animal shelter in downtown Dallas for all of the people that were staying at the convention center that were escaping the hurricane. And um, that was a pretty big deal. We had, like, like you mentioned, we had a woman that had, well, a woman and her husband that had escaped Rose City, Texas during Hurricane Harvey with nine of her dogs. And they didn't have anywhere to go. So they ended up you know, on the buses. They went up to Louisiana, uh, stopped there for a while and then came to us in Dallas. And, you know, I just, I can't imagine what it would be like to, you know, with the pets that I have, you know, or maybe just having two dogs and trying to escape a hurricane, but you have nine dogs with you um, and you have no resources. Um, so these people obviously cared a lot for their pets. Um, they came in, uh, they were staying at the convention center. They came by the shelter, which was about two blocks away. They came by every single day to spend time with them. They stayed there all day long. That was kind of what was keeping them going. You know, they've lost everything, but they had their, their nine pets. So, uh, we helped them out. We got their, their dogs spayed and neutered, of course, while they were there, we wanted to hook them up and um, helped arrange for them to go back. We actually, our investigators actually loaded them up in their air-conditioned vehicles and drove them back to Royce, uh, Rose City to be with the family. So we stayed in touch. Um, they're friends with me on Facebook and we still talk almost on a daily basis. That's remarkable. And you all really, really do go above and beyond with, with, with everything that you're doing. So tell me, why is it that giving back is so important to you? I mean, obviously you're, you're helping animals so much on a daily basis in your, in your professional life, but also with FOAD, with Dallas Animal Response, that the giving back is so important to you. Where, where does that come from for you? For me, um, it really has turned into just an everyday part of life. I can't imagine, um, I'm just, I'm so blessed to have this, this job and this path that I've taken because I feel like it just gives me the motivation I need to get through my day, knowing that I am doing something good and knowing that, um, you know, my team and this organization, we're doing something every single day. We're making a difference. That's been a huge inspiration to me. Um, and I just can't imagine working anywhere else. Honestly, um, it's almost like you get addicted to it. You know, it's, it's seriously addictive because it's like you, you go through and you have horrible days. I mean, you have like so many bad situations that you go through every day, but the good always outweighs the bad. So it keeps me going. Well, when you talk about you all really making a difference, are, are there two or three people who really have made a difference for you in your life? 
two or three people that have made a difference. Um, I think that, well, from like a work ethic perspective, um, my dad has been a huge part of my life and he has an incredible work ethic. And that's kind of always been, he's always been, he was very strict growing up. Um, and so I kind of knew that I needed to just get out there and get it done or else it wasn't going to get done. So for, for that aspect, I think he was a big inspiration for me. Um, and then anybody else, as far as who has influenced me, I really am influenced by our staff and our volunteers here. I know that's not a one person thing, but collectively they inspire me every single day. So I know even on my worst days, if I come in and I see them busting their butts to take care of these animals and you know, this isn't a glorious job. I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're going home and eating ramen noodles every day and you're tired and fall asleep. But the fact that they get up and come back to work the next day with a great attitude that really inspires me. Absolutely. And I mean, the SPCA of Texas staff is is wonderful, whether it's the shelter side or the or management side or veterinary side, you all uh, just do yeoman's work here. So that really is remarkable. Thank you for that. Um, so what, what would you say is the most important thing you've learned, uh, you know, so far today? You've seen a lot of people on their worst days, um, but you've also gotten to, to help people be with their pets, reunited with their pets, keep their pets at home. So what do you think the most important thing you've learned so far is? So far, I really think that learning not to judge a situation without really looking into it has been so important to me. It's so easy to walk into a really horrendous situation. And the first thing you see, you automatically come up with, you know, whatever you think is happening, but there's usually a lot more to the story. Um, and so it takes a lot of patience and and being able to just kind of step back and try to really understand a situation before you react. Um, I've had to learn that over the years because things aren't always what they seem for sure. Absolutely. So now a question, if you could step into my shoes and ask yourself a question, what question have I not asked you that I should? Um, you haven't asked me what the grossest thing was that I've ever had to deal with. <laughs> well, I'm terrified. I was to ask waiting this, for that. But, but what, what is what is the grossest uh, worst story that you had to deal with? Uh, well, there's several, but just <laughs> off the top of my head, I was thinking about this earlier today. Like I said, I, I think about all these cases, you know, on a daily basis. Um, there's only been a couple where I've had to actually stop and take a break during the process of whatever I'm doing. Cause you kind of like find your, your happy place when you go into situations like this, especially the really gross ones, you kind of have to, you know, disassociate yourself with your environment. But we did have a case, um, I believe it was up in Fannin County where there were some cats being kept in some crates in this pretty nasty house. And they had those, they had a, a roach infestation, but not like the, big roaches, like the really little ones, you know, where there's just a lot of them. And I mean, there was just like sheets of them on the walls, on the cabinets, you know, and I, we walked in and, and saw this, these poor cats in these, in these crates. And it was just moving, you know, everything was moving. And on top of that, there was like a fruit fly problem that was going on. And I don't know if like you've been around fruit flies, they tend to like fly in your face and they try to get like in your nose and in your mouth. And like, just, I guess the combination of seeing all the movement of the roaches and the flies trying to get in your nose. Like I just had to step away for a few minutes to gather myself. But yeah, that was probably one of the grossest ones. There's a lot more, but that's just one off the top. Of my I'm afraid to ask about any more. I mean, that, that, that was one of the grossest stories I've heard. And that was short. It was gross. Um, wow. Um, <laughs> 
have more. <laughs> I mean, is there, is there is there another story you'd like to share? That's with okay. Well, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> I mean, this is a super awkward transition because then we were going to switch over to the Dicky side and talk about meats and sides and things like that. So maybe we'll just flip over. Okay, what what? Tell me about what the best rescue you've done. What what is your favorite rescue that that you can think about? I mean, you all have had. A lot of different outcomes that have happened that have happened over the years, um, whether they be positive or not. But what what is one when you think about the best example of what you do and the best outcomes that you all get? What would that be? Um, I would say that as far as outcomes, I think it's it's really rewarding to watch livestock when they when they turn around because we do deal with. I know we do dogs and cats mostly on a daily basis. We also do livestock, so we do horses and, and cows and and that kind of thing. Um, I really like it when we get to do horses because um, it takes a long time for a horse, A, to get into the situation that they're in, to lose a lot of weight, um, but to turn around and actually gain all that weight back and, and, and learn to trust humans again. So I do think that some of our livestock cases are some of the best that I've seen, at least that I, that I remember. Um, we did do a case back in... Um, Van Zant County a few years ago, which was about 70 or 80 horses. And it was, it was a big undertaking to take on all these horses, but, um, just kind of like checking in with the livestock team every now and then, and just seeing the kind of progress that they were making, you know, they're incredible what they do. And I really admire them, um, because horses, you know, they, they, they can hold a grudge, you know, they remember what happened. They're very smart animals. So I think those are really rewarding to watch. When you said you personally have two horses and a cow that, that are from some of your rescues, when you went out and rescued them, you're like, you're going to come home with me. Yeah. Yeah. And the cow, the cow was just kind of a recent thing. His name is Newton. And, um, he was a pet cow that was tied up to, um, a fence in somebody's yard and had lived there his whole life. And so he didn't, he doesn't know how to cow, you know, cow is a new thing for him. So he's socially awkward. He doesn't get along with other cows. Um, and he's a pet. So, um, I was just like this cow, needs to live with me. And so he lives with me now. He's still a little skinny, but he's making some progress. But yeah, we love Newton. Well, I'm glad to hear that. So, I mean, I, I've got to ask then, I mean, if we if we flip it over to favorite Dickie's meat and favorite Dickie's side, <laughs> I feel go. like it can't be brisket <laughs> because we don't want it to be Newton. <laughs> Newton will never be brisket, which no. is good. <laughs> he's been pardoned. <laughs> that, that's wonderful. That's great. Okay, so so at the uh, kind of as we close out our interviews, we always like to finish with our lightning round, and I'm going to give you two choices, and uh, you're going to tell me which one's your favorite. How about that? Okay. All right. Barbecue beans or jalapeno beans? Oh, jalapeno beans. Absolutely. Spicy. Sweet or unsweet tea? I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but unsweet tea, because you... I'm from the South. I know. And you still go with unsweet? I know. I know it's weird. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll let it slide. All right. Yeah. Chopped brisket or sliced brisket? Mmm. Chopped. Uh, sauce or no sauce? Really depends on the mood. Sauce. Sauce. All yeah. right. That's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm saucy. I'm, I'm a sauce <laughs> on the side girl, so, yeah. so I feel it for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Brisket or pulled pork? Brisket. Sorry, Newton. <laughs> and ribs or wings? 
Um, wings. Yeah. Surprisingly enough, wings. Yeah. I like that. Well, thank you so much, Courtney, for joining me uh, today on Dickie's Doing Good. We so appreciate all the work that you're doing with SPCA of Texas, the incredible uh, animal investigations you're doing and everything you're doing to help so many animals and our community. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. It was great that we could share our stories with you. If you want more information about the Dickey Foundation, feel free to visit thedickeyfoundation.org. And if you want more information about some of our great owners and the great stories they're doing, please visit dickies.com. We look forward to seeing you next week where we'll continue sharing the good stories of good people doing good things in our community.